This episode is sponsored by Spice Dog Provisions. Um, they sent me a bunch of amazing flavors, some that I don't think are on the market yet that I tried on my new um, show, Unboxed, that's you can find on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Anthony Rogers. Also, um, these sauces are fucking awesome. They have some classic flavors like Ghost, ghost Ship and like an Everyday Sauce and stuff like that. Um, and they're just really good sauce. So go to SpiceDogProvisions.com and uh, tell them Anthony Rogers sent you. I'm Al Globus. I uh, worked for 39 years as a contractor at NASA Indian Research Center. And I spent at least some of that time doing space settlement design, space settlement development, trying to build places for people to live in space should they choose to do so. And that will be uh, part of the Anthony Rogers Show, which is starting right now. You are now listening to the best show in the universe, The Anthony Rogers Show. You probably wish that this was your show, but it's not. It's the Anthony Rogers Show. Tell all of your friends to listen to this show. Welcome back to the greatest show in the entire universe. Um, today we have a legend, uh, a researcher from NASA, a retired researcher from NASA. Al Globus, how are you doing? Good. Yourself? Not too bad, man. Uh, where are you at in your background? Is that uh, in the Inception? That is a small space settlement. Hmm. It's uh, about the size of the very, very earliest uh, space settlements. The reason you, you can see all that curvature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... Um, that's because this thing is uh, is rotating to provide with artificial gravity. So, you know, you, when you when you see the astronauts in the International Space Station, the ISS, they're always floating around, right? But these guys, they aren't. And that's because of the rotation. Rotates fast enough so it feels as if you were living in a gravity environment, which is really important for the kids because they need to grow up with strong bones and muscles. No, it's awesome. I, I, I need that theory of the, of the spinning thing, but I, that, that looks way cooler than anything I've seen. Like, <laughs> that looks, that looks, and like, and like uh, what they're doing, man. That looks awesome. Um, well, Brian, Versteeg, Brian Versteeg did this in image and, and, and the others. He's a really, really good space artist. That's cool, man. I like that a lot. I'm glad I asked that, actually. It just looked cool at first. I'm like, no, nah, I, nah, I feel like I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but um like i want to get to i want to get to like questions from people because like you had an overwhelming amount of questions I, I from like in the last i mean for the amount of time i've had it up you know it's like uh i probably only had that up for like 30 minutes and like a lot of people are interested in like just uh like like your field of uh research man honestly and some are pretty serious some are kind of like ridiculous but uh i'm gonna ask whatever um it's like uh this one's kind of good i like this one it's like uh brandon brandon's asking like um ask about recent ufos it's gone mainstream um and the government is expected to produce a report in june lots of videos have been coming out from the military and there's evidence of uh one ufo going into water ask them about this basically that's what they're asking about like what, do you, what are your thoughts on like aliens and all that stuff well i mean i'm not a big fan of, of the aliens are here and taking us over or anything like that but but <laughs> there's something you really can't ignore and that is in this galaxy our best estimate is that there are 300 million planets in the habitable zone of one or another galaxy star. And we know for a fact that one of those, um, uh, those, those uh, planets is spacefaring because that's us. You know, we can get into space. We do it all the time, every day. Well, not every day, but most days. 
So it's really hard to say, oh, we have one, and we got 300 million tries at getting two. That can't happen. Right? So it seems to me that the odds of, um, of, of uh, alien species in this galaxy uh, are pretty good. Okay? Now that said, a UFO is exactly what it means, an unidentified flying object. There are lots of unidentified flying objects. They're not necessarily alien intelligence is here to wipe us out. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of UFOs are not that because <laughs> um, we know what they are. They're unidentified flying objects. Okay. Um, now, I, th I think this is actually kind of important because if we, well, whether we if, if we choose to, to expand throughout the solar system and eventually throughout the galaxy, we may eventually run into uh, an alien species, okay, that, that's spacefaring. And, I mean, that... If, if, that, if that, that entity, if those, those people, if you will, not people actually, um, if those aliens are mu very much like us, we're going to be in big trouble because we have a terrible record of, of uh, coming in to some place, wiping out everybody who gets in the way and pushing people around, okay? And... If, if, a, if, a, if advanced spacefaring civilization um, does that to us, if they did it now, we wouldn't stand a chance. Now, after several thousand years of development, maybe we would, we would stand a chance. Or maybe we get lucky and the aliens we run into are the, quote, nice aliens, right? And have no particular desire to do us in as long as we don't do something stupid like irritate them. But I think that we have to recognize, uh, you know, hate, I hate to, to recognize that many times. Well, you know, actually, let me say, but Minister Fuller, I think, had the right idea about, about aliens. And he said, sometimes I think that we are alone in the universe, that this is the only life, the only civilization. And that's an amazing thought. And other times I think, there's a whole community of, of, of civilizations out there that someday we will make contact and it'll be wonderful. And that's an amazing thought. That's great. No, so, it's so, so no matter, no matter how, you, how you come down on it, it's amazing. No, I agree, man. And if you come down and, and if we, you know, we could try to hide on our planet and, and hope that they don't find us, you know, if the, if the nasties are out there. Um, but we've already given away our location. We've already said, I love Lucy and uh, the dating game and for you know, the aliens to see. So if they're there and they're paying attention, they already know where we are. Yeah, for sure. That means you know, the only chance we really have is to build it up as fast as we can uh, and get ready in case uh, one of those 300 million uh, planets turns out to host a civilization similar to ours, but much, much in advance of it. Yeah, dude, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not already here, man. Like, like honestly, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, okay. So another, uh, CC wants to know dogs in space question mark. Uh, just basically, I guess she means can you bring dogs in space or like, I don't know. Well, right now, um, the only dogs in space I know is the very first mammal in space. The very first animal in space was a dog. It was actually a stray that they picked up on the, on the street. Um, <laughs> 
That's and, crazy. I mean, when, when, when we're in early days, I'm obviously going to the International Space Station, not having a dog. But, you know, so that'd be like taking a dog to your Alaska work platform or something like that. <laughs> It'd be so you know, annoying. It's not a good idea. <laughs> I'm um, not a dog person. That'd be so annoying. <laughs> like, I feel like you'd have to like babysit a dog in space. It'd be crazy. But if you sit and you look at the, if you, if you, if you look at that background behind me, that, that is a place for people to live. Okay. And you might not want to allow dogs at first. But at least if you're, if you're, if you're coming from a Western tradition that the dogs are so strongly associated with humans, um, that I can't imagine that given time and development and in a, a large, nice place to live, that that couldn't include dogs and cats and, you know, probably stay away from ferrets and, and <laughs> That's funny. Um, Jake, Jake wants to know, do they bang in space? That's his question. Do they have uh, do they have sex in space? Is what was his question basically? Um, uh, no, nobody has owned up to it. <laughs> they haven't owned up to it. <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. They they I think they have a pretty good idea of what would happen to their astronaut career should they uh, let a cat out of the bag. However, it must be said that there was one shuttle flight, which I believe, if I got this right, uh, a newly married couple went on. They're, they're both astronauts on the same mission. And you can get, you could get um, a little bit of privacy in the, in the mid-deck area on the shuttle. Okay, so may bring your own, your own conclusions to those two facts. Uh-huh. And that was the most popular question. Everybody was commenting underneath that, this, this, ask this. <laughs> so it was literally everybody. That was, that was and most- and let, me, uh, let me bring up one other issue that brings up is, um, there are uh, a couple of companies gearing up to start doing tourist flights. And you can bet your absolute bottom dollar <laughs> that some of those people will be couples. Yeah, that's, that's flights. super true. Um, Matthew wants to know uh, why they give um, blankets to astronauts after they land. That was kind of a good question. Um, uh, he's probably um, uh, thinking of the, the when coming back on the Soyuz and landing in Kazakhstan. Um, I don't know for sure, but the most likely reason is it's cold. <laughs> that was a good point, man. Um, Someone uh, you also asked him. Matthew also asked if um, is the world flat. <laughs> no, the world is not flat. We have mountains of evidence to prove without any doubt whatsoever that it is round. <laughs> Um, let's see. You got a bunch of questions. Um, the, a couple of people asked, like, um, is, um, ask him why the earth isn't huge. And then the picture you're taking from the moon, like two people asked that. I'm like, I'm sorry. What was that question again? I'm a paraphrase more or less. They, um, they wanted to know why the picture from, uh, the, of earth from the moon, what the earth wasn't bigger in it. I, they wanted to, like, it seemed like it was tiny because from their perspective. Two people asked that. Oh, well, it's, it's because the moon is a quarter of a million miles away. <laughs> you know, as, as you look at something, as it gets farther and farther from you, it looks smaller and smaller. So the size, it, it, the perceptual size it is, is just a function of how, how far away it is. Yeah, that's, that's super real. Um, Ernesto wanted to know, uh, or he just basically put, nobody ever went to the moon, it's all fake. Like, what's your, what's your opinion on that? Uh, well, I talked to one of the guys that got out and, uh, and walked around on the moon, Buzz Aldrin. So I have to say that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that somebody worked, that worked with NASA just said that. Like, I, I hate when I hear shit like that, man. Like, 
this is important. I, I was a contractor at NASA. I was never a, a, a civil servant, never a government employee. Still counts. Still counts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. Another person asked about aliens. We already kind of covered that though. Uh, I know a few. Okay. So I'm just going to read these. Uh, Steve said, I know a few years ago they announced we'd, uh, be returning to the moon soon and it potentially becoming a halfway point for Mars. Is, um, that still on track after the pandemic? You think? Uh, the pandemic doesn't seem to slow things down a little bit, but other than that, it doesn't seem to have made, made any big, big change. The, uh, the Artemis program, which is what he's talking about, is, is going to the moon and then to Mars is, um, it's getting a lot of funding and it's, it's got a lot of support. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Mars moon, Mars moon, Mars moon, Mars moon thing that's been going on for many, many years. Um, but they, uh, they're, they're injecting some commercial kind, you know, some, some of the, the things that might've been done in the Apollo era by a, a government, uh, uh, got a simple government contract, you know, you do it and we own the stuff. Um, is making way for uh, a uh, sort of the idea is you, is you don't so much do missions and these things as you create industries. And if you create an industry, then you can, you know, if, if that builds lunar landers, then you can land as long as it's profitable. If you just have a mission, you do it once and it's over, then I mean, that's what happened to Apollo. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, Apollo was just amazing. This, in eight years, they went from nothing practically to landing a guy on the moon, a couple of guys on the moon. That's true. In eight years. That's, that's just, I mean, just absolutely astounding. And then the whole thing just went away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was not any Apollo hardware or even the design, the designs, not maybe some of the designs here and there, that, that, um, that the current stuff lays its, uh, back to Apollo. It was a one-shot, and it was meant to be a one-shot. I mean, the real reason that we went to the moon was not because we were, got, Kennedy was in honor with the moon, but to show the world that the American way of doing things, the Western way of doing things, was superior to the Soviet way of doing things. And, um, that is and true. They, they chose a, a, a race that they could win, and then they won it. Yeah, America's and, better at everything. And they put everything away because... They did what they wanted to do, right? That's crazy to think about, actually. Um, this question is like, uh, from Randall. Uh, seeing as how the Colonial Space Pipeline was just recently attacked with ransomware cyber attack, how likely is it that that group could hack NASA? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm not a security expert on any stretch of imagination. Uh, NASA and, and the other government government uh, computers are under constant attack all the time, every single day, over and over and over again. Um, so, and every once in a while, I mean, it's been a while, but some years back, I seem to remember that you know some some NASA web portal got got hacked, and they put up some obnoxious statement for a few hours until it got fixed. Um, I don't remember any incidents of. Um, uh, of ransomware uh, with with NASA, uh, but I'm not an expert in the field. <laughs> no, I love the honesty on that. Um, this one, uh, Damien asks, what do farts sound like in space? Um, well, if you're in if you're inside the International Space Station, I'm pretty sure they sound almost exactly the same. <laughs> um, if you are out without a without a suit, they don't sound like anything because you're dead. Um, if you're out in an EVA. 
then you're, it's just going to, the sound is just going to get mixed in with all the noises of the fans and the, and the pumps and all the other stuff going on. <laughs> I like how seriously you took that. Um, and then we have another question about sex <laughs> in space, it sounds like. Eric wants to know, uh, just recently uh, news came out about aliens and humans wouldn't be compatible to have sex. Is this true that we live in a period where we could not only have sex with aliens, but we could kill them as well? <laughs> I don't necessarily know what that question is, but it was a, a like... It's a stupid question. <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> that's so funny, man. I, I like your answer better than the question. That's funny, man. Um, I, this one's, I don't even know what it means. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an idiot. But uh, Adam wants to know, would reverse polarity of magnetism, I can't even say the word, magnetism, uh, work in zero gravity environment? Like what is, I don't even, I'm too dumb to even understand that question really. Um. I guess he's trying to do magnets work in, in space, and yeah, they do. <laughs> That's funny, man. Um, okay, so let's see if we have uh, – <laughs> I just want to add – that one doesn't know much. Uh, I don't know if you – that one's already in. Yeah, we'll go back to – I don't know. Let's talk about a little bit about your past, I guess, man. Um, so I guess um, what was uh, what was your business in, like, connection with, with like, NASA, I guess, and, like, what uh, – I will start there, and I'll go. I mean, I'll just ask my questions, I guess. I'm sorry. What's the question? More or less. Um, what was your um, what was your exact relationship with NASA? Like, to, to like a layman like myself, or like listeners listening, like uh, dumb it down a little bit. Oh, like, I, I, I was an on-site contractor. I worked in the same buildings as the, as the civil servants um, to first approximation, and um, uh, I've worked for various companies and, and educational institutions. I worked for San. I worked for San Jose State University. I worked for UC Santa Cruz, I worked for a number of commercial companies, but always they pay the company or whatever, or, or educational institutes I was in, and I go to and ask them to do NASA's work. Cool. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I got to I got to interact with some of the some of the smartest and, and, and greatest people in the world. NASA Ames Research Center is a fantastic place. They do all kinds of really, really good work. And uh, you know, I did it for 39 years. I don't regret a minute of it. Cool man. Uh, what was it like meeting Buzz Aldrin? That dude's a hero. I mean, I mean, he's he's a great guy. I mean, he's still. I mean, I think he's well into his nineties, and he's he's still completely full of uh, energy and and uh, sometimes he kind of goes a little bit off the deep end. But um, yeah, he's he's a good guy. I like him. Yeah, I imagine you have to be pretty intense to be one of the first guys on the moon. You know, yeah. <laughs> probably have to be an intense person, man. Like, well, he, he was. He's also. A, a, a 100% expert in uh, orbital dynamics. He's, he's the guy that discovered, if I got this right, um, that you can set up a cycler between Earth and Mars. So that with... My friends at uh, CBD Direct have given you a no-excuse option to try the highest quality plant-based medicine at the absolute lowest cost. Tinctures, gummies, pet shoes that you're using to calm anxiety, support better sleep, and just live better are available for up to 80% below most CBD products available. That includes the cost of your membership. Go to the website, link in the description, use my link to get a free tincture. Trust me, the value and price are too good to pass on. You'll be glad you joined the club. Not a whole lot of fuel. You know, you come in, as you come in near Earth, you can spin it, swim, uh, whip around Earth and get sent out and, and you'll head in the right direction to Mars if you set everything up right which is a pretty sophisticated thing to pull off, you know. He's, he's the real deal. 
No, it's crazy, man. Like I, I saw, I saw that one interview. Like uh, where somebody was like trying to accuse him of never going to the moon. He just like punched him in the face. <laughs> and it, was, it was hilarious to see like an old dude just like punch a dude in the face. Like it was, I, I, that made, that, I like died, man. I was like, that was like crazy. And, and my grandfather helped uh, help build the shuttle with the the moon. I'm from I'm from St. Louis, and like a lot of St. Louis companies built um built the um aircraft that went to or the spacecraft, I guess went, that went to uh, the moon, and like the ones that tested the pigs and stuff, and like. Uh, so, so it annoys me when people tell me that's not uh, that didn't happen because my grandfather like helped build the shuttle. You know what I mean? So like discredits like human inven- innovation. That kind of pisses me off when I hear people say that as well. You know, it's like that ancient alien show where they just attribute every human like uh, like accomplishment to aliens. Like how these pyramids get built? Like oh, aliens. You know, it's like like it takes away from like how great human beings are. You know. Well, you know, they used to have that, and I think I have this right. Uh, Easter Island, you know, they have those big statues, and yeah. uh, a lot of them are falling over. And um, the, the scientists and the anthropologists were trying to figure out how they got put up. And they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. People came up with books and said, oh, it had to be aliens. People who lived there got tired of listening to this nonsense and put one of them up because they knew how to do it. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> they knew how to do it the whole, the whole time. And they just wanted to watch these fools you know, mill about and, and chase their tiles and have no idea what was going on. At least that's the story I heard. That's funny. Yeah, I think my cell phone impresses me more technologically than a pyramid. You know, I mean, I, I think the blocks are big or whatever, but it's like my my I, my cell phone. I have no idea how it works. You know, I mean, I'm like, I think like you know, I mean, to that degree. Well, so what um, where do you see space going? Like uh, from here, you said like tourism a little bit, and like, and, uh, where where do you see like uh, the future of space right now? Like, uh, with China landing on Mars and America landing on Mars, I mean, you're gonna almost see. I don't know. It's it's interesting right now. Um, well, this is a, this is a golden era of rocketry development. You know, rockets is how you have to get to space. Yeah. And there has never been a better time than today. There were, six months ago, and the probably number is about the same, there were over 100 companies building rockets of one kind or another. And several of them were launching. And just to have a tremendous amount of activity, the price of sending a kilogram into space has dropped from $20,000 in the shuttle era down to about $1,400 today with the Falcon Heavy. And if the, if, the, if the SpaceX Starship does something reasonably close to what it's advertised to do, we'll be looking at prices in the couple hundred dollars per kilogram range. Wow. So if your basic transportation begins two, three orders of magnitude cheaper, it's gonna be a whole lot easier to do what we need to do. We may even get into a situation where we have so many flights, we have to look at the environmental uh, problems with the atmosphere. Right now, we don't fly very much. We fly less than 100 times a year, flying I mean, to space. Obviously, airliners do a lot more of that. Um, and so it's not a big problem. I mean, the, the, these launches, they do alter the atmosphere, but there's not a lot of it. It doesn't matter too much. However, if we are successful, if we do what we want to do, which is to have you know, thousands and thousands of flights and build space solar power satellites and have you know, tourists going up by the hundreds, by the thousands, and settling the moon and settling Mars and building giant spacecraft along the lines of the one in my background to go live in, well, then we're going to have to start worrying about the atmosphere because the atmosphere is the single most important thing in the universe, period. And the reason why I say that is if we didn't have the atmosphere, we'd all be dead, every single one of us within five minutes. Wow, five minutes, that's terrifying. So, that's that's so crazy. you do not want to mess with the atmosphere unless you know what you're doing. No, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you just gave me the worst visual of my entire life thing about not having an atmosphere for five minutes. That'd be crazy. Just like, no, yeah, that's sucking on life. Uh, 
No, that the thing behind you looks awesome. Like I, I like the concept of that. And you worked on a lot of things like designs like that too, haven't you? You worked on a lot of like, uh, like just like the spinning designs to keep like a uh, artificial gravity like in space type thing. Yeah, yeah, I've done I've done a few of them. Um, there was Lewis one was the first one, and then Kalpana one, Kalpana two, and Kalpana three. They're all named after Kalpana Chawla. Kalpana Chawla was on the uh, the orbiter Columbia when it came down over Texas and got torn to pieces. And she also was in the uh, office next to mine for several years. And we weren't, you know, quite close friends or anything, but we were, you know, colleagues and we worked together and we did stuff. And it was a really, a really sad day, the, the day that she died. Um, and so sort of in homage to her, I've, I, I named my space settlement designs after her. And nice. I, I hope that's okay with her. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's, that's really cool, man. It's nice. That's a nice gesture, man. Like, uh, what would you say got you into this originally? Like, I mean, was it like as a child or as a young adult or like, what kind of got, what kind of got you into all this, like kind of thinking like, I know exactly. Okay. I, I used to be a, a musician, hmm. professional musician, not particularly successful. But I did pay the, pay the rent and the food most of the time. And my uh, housemate got a job cleaning out a garage, some mixed garage. And in there, they found a huge stack of coevolutionary quarterlies. Now, um, coevolutionary quarterlies, Stuart Brandt ran it, and he's the guy that did the whole Earth catalog, which you probably remember, but maybe the audience. It was a, it was a, it was a sort of woodstock for people who wanted to build things, uh, publication. And in, in that stack of coevolutionary quarterlies, one come out four times a year, there was one on Gerard O'Neill's space colony concepts. And I had gone back to I had gone back to school, so I wasn't playing music anymore, or not for pay, anyways. Um, which didn't change things a whole lot. Uh, but he brought I, I, re I read it while I was you know going to UC Santa Cruz, um, studying computer and information science, and I was just electrified. This was great, you know. Um, and, and it was talking about something very much like you're seeing in the background here, but um, uh, bigger, much bigger. Uh, which is actually one of the problems with it. And so that, this was, I, I just thought this was great. And then I was sitting in the hallway, halls of UCSC, I was ranting and raving about space settlement. And this big guy comes up and taps you on the shoulder and said, you want to go work for NASA? And I said, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it turned out that he got, uh, he got the signing bonus. And then they got me in. Uh, of course, it was a little bit, a little bit of misdirection. I didn't. When I went, went to NASA to work with them. I, it wasn't. Uh, they didn't give me a, a position working on spacecraft. I was working on aircraft. But I figured, get in the right place. You know, you get in the right. And I did do a lot of uh, spacecraft work uh, by the time I, I left there. And so that was exactly the genesis. It was a, a piece of luck with, and a housemate that that needed a few bucks and had to do an odd job. That's crazy, man. So you went from uh, you played guitar and sing or something? Is that what you? Yeah. You Actually, like last band I was in, I mostly played bass. I also played saxophone and guitar. No, it's cool, man. Like, uh, I know you're probably you're probably around in a fun time for music more. So it's like music didn't make much money in my generation. Like that, everybody was like downloading it and stuff. Like when I was like in my twenties and stuff. So you're probably uh -oh. in a way better. Yeah, like seventies were probably like a way better time. Like for music, probably <laughs> to, to make money yeah. and stuff. It seemed like but still. Yeah. I mean, I remember I, I went to Berkeley College of Music and and they said uh, ninety five percent of all albums lose money. Oh, I bet. No, I, I, I of, of the remaining 5%, 1% makes money. And of that 1% that makes money, 95% are by established artists. Huh. 
In other words, if you're not an established artist, your chances of getting anywhere are slim. And this is this sure. is about 1975. Yeah, I was. I Music was is tough, tough business. Yeah, I was talking to uh, a dude in a pretty successful band yesterday, and like he told me that basically sixty thousand songs are uploaded to Spotify and <laughs> Apple, and that's that a day, right a day, now, yeah. a day, sixty thousand songs. That's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. That is nuts. Like, that's funny. You went from music to that, though. That's that's interesting. I think like a lot, that music probably draws that kind of a uh, that kind of thinker and creative person. Like you know, like any kind of like an artist is probably drawn to NASA like tenfold. You know, it's like I feel like like any kind of like. Because you have to be creative. I mean, I, I, science is creative. You know, it's like it's like a, I don't know. It's interesting that like it was like an art, like you, like you did art first and then kind of went to that. Like well, there, I, there's there's a connection between music and and science and mathematics and so forth. Uh, a lot of the, big, the really big time physicists of the the 20s and 30s and 40s uh, were accomplished musicians, like really good. Wow, like, I didn't know that. Like nearly concert quality. Uh, classical guitar, uh, violinists and stuff like that. That's I never knew that. That's crazy. That makes sense, though. I mean, like, I, I think, like, the, I don't know, it just makes sense. The kind of instruments draws. I don't know. Art, art, man, art and science are really close, you know? You have to, you almost have to, like, I think Steve Jobs is like an artist and a scientist type. I, even though he's a, he's a salesman, but I think, like, he's still, like, I think he was all that. I think you, ha you can be that, man. It's interesting. Um, do you think there was, I was reading this C.S. Lewis book, or, or my, uh, and, like, it talked about, it named, like, Mars, like, he called it something else, but, like, like they were saying, like, and it could be a work of fiction, clearly, but uh, they're saying that basically that Mars was once living. Like, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, Mars, like, once is a, like a living planet with a bunch of life, and then, like, the poles die, or whatever, the core died, or whatever. I don't know. Something like that. Like, what, do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm not an expert on Mars, but um, there, there may have been a period where there were some microbes living on Mars, or maybe in Mars. And there, there may actually still be microbes there today, but that's probably about it. Yeah, and and there's no particular. It's actually a very very interesting question: as are there, is there life on Mars now? <laughs> yeah, go up? that is because the thing is, if you send astronauts up to look for life, they are going to shed DNA and RNA and proteins and um, and 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 you know uh, tissues and stuff all over the place. It's really it's going to be really hard to keep the place clean. So. It's going to be really difficult to prove it, but if, if it turns out that there is extant life on Mars and that life was not derived from Earth and Earth was not derived from it, that is an apocal discovery. Because that, that tells us that, um, there's, that there's likely a lot of life in the universe and in, in the galaxy. Remember those 300 million planets? You know, maybe, you know, if two or 3% of them uh, you know, create space-faring civilizations. That's, it's, you know, it's huge. It's hundreds of thousands, millions of, of, of such species. Um, That's crazy to think about, man. Like, um, You'll certainly get the Nobel Prize if you can prove it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. Like, uh, exoplanets are kind of interesting, too. Like, it looks like everything was, like, on a cycle like to me sometimes like it looks like everything was in a cycle and all these plants were like sucked into their stars like uh, like almost like the the sun is pulling earth into it kind of too like, do you what do you think about that like uh like exoplanets and like the sun, the stars pulling planets into them like like you think it's gonna happen to earth more or less like uh like like well, the, i mean i mean all planets and moons and and stars attract each other gravitationally yeah so do you think the mass right. of the sun will absorb earth eventually or i think that's um, like, i'm not um, my understanding is that at some point, if, if, if our sun 
makes the same trajectory as most other suns, that there is a place where it will get, um, uh, I don't know that the, that the, that the orbit is going to get a whole lot closer to the sun, but what will happen is the sun will get a lot bigger. Yeah, the expansion. Become a, red, become a red giant and just envelope Earth. And by then, which is a very long time from now, but by then we really have to be off planet or we're all going to go away. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think about that a lot. Like, uh, it's got to be crazy. Like, uh, do you think humans have, like, uh, rock hopped before, like, gone to other planets before, like, uh, in, before documented time of, like, the space race uh, in the early whatever, you know, the early 50s no. or 60s or whatever? You don't think? No. Like, it's, yeah, too hard, it's too hard to do. There's no evidence of development of uh, any technology even remotely good, good enough to get off the planet. Yeah. I would we're, almost, we're, talking, we're not talking close judgment here. It's, like, way, way yeah. out of their range. I mean, you know, come on, these guys use stone tools. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're gray stone tools, but they won't get to the moon. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. They won't no, get I, to low Earth orbit. Because I sometimes wonder if, like, high-grade technology is easy to decompose of, and, like, if we've been here before, you know, I, I don't have – you're right, though, there's been zero evidence of this. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I think that's the str evidence of the strongest thing in science for sure. But, no, I, I often wonder that, like, how many times we've been here before, you know, and, like, because stone would almost – I mean, our cars and phones and all this stuff would go away pretty fast, you know. Like within a couple hundred years, you know, that's, that's how I view it. I just don't, I just don't know. I just concrete, don't know. Would be, concrete would be around for a good long time. Yeah. The Roman concrete. I don't know if There's ours would be. a lot of concrete. Yeah. I don't know if ours would be, but Rome's would be. Like, I, 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 I have holes in my road every, I, I don't know, every, every other week it looks like here, like in the States. But Rome, Rome has like thousand-year-old concrete still, still intact. It's like a bizarre accomplishment. But um, do you want to throw out any like kind of like promo or anything before we get out here? Like any kind of like social media or like uh, any kind of like anything you 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 write for some stuff and you publish some stuff, don't you? Like uh, um, well, I have a Facebook page, uh, you know, uh, and I have a website with uh, actually, if anybody's interested in this, um, if you go to space.alglobus.net or just search for Al Globus Space, or probably just Al Globus will work. Um. Uh, Almost all the technical papers I've written uh, are on, on that site. There's only a couple that are missing uh, for one reason or another, having to do with the details of, of publishing things. So if you're interested in this stuff in, in, uh, in, in space settlement, uh, I would encourage you to go there and take a look around. There's, there, are, there are hardcore technical papers, you know, 50 pages of dense stuff. There are also um, articles written for you know, the intelligent enthusiast, somebody who's interested in space and and uh, you know obviously knows how to read and 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 so forth. That's uh, something that, that you can do, and it's it's all free. Um, also, the other thing I might, might plug is I'm uh, on the board of directors of the National Space Society, and that's uh, a if you're interested in in and perhaps helping out with. Um, uh, you know, uh, developing space, um, you might consider joining. You might go to their website, uh, just uh, Google uh, the National Space Society, and you'll find it easy, easily enough. And it's, you know, it's a group of uh, people, it's a few, several thousand people who um, uh, get together and do various activities around promoting space, uh, space settlement and space development. And, uh, it's a, it's a good bunch of folks. We're doing some interesting stuff. Um, 
and go 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 over there and take a look. It's it's uh, worth it'll be worth your while. This episode is brought to you by Blumloco. They're a family company. Uh, they make small batches of seasoning, salts, gourmet chocolates, and snack mixes. Go to blumloco.com. Link in the description and buy some stuff while you listen to this episode.